Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai studio. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. This is where Chicago goes to talk Bears. Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago's home for Bears fans. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The score! It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. On the inbound, Strogic slaps that ball in play to Booch. Booch puts it on the deck with a handoff to DeMar DeRozan. Three seconds left. DeRozan topside three for the win. No! Pulled down by Avdia. Ball game over. And the Bulls lose 102-100 to the Washington Wizards on a missed three ball by the Rosen. Chuck Swirsky on the call right here on these very airwaves. Final call of last night's game. Bulls lose to the Wizards. They open their home season tonight at the United Center. In attendance will be my next guest. Joining me on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago. Casey, how you doing? Steve, it's been a while. How you been, man? It has been. I've I've been good. I've been good. I I <clears throat> wonder. So Zach Levine's going to come back. If he if he had come back and played in last night's game, does he get that chance at the end? Since he's he's a guy more likely to hit a three than Demar. How do you think that plays out? Well, I think the play call is probably you know more options. I mean, it was clear that the ball was going to Demar there. Obviously, Demar supplied. Plenty of late uh, game magic last season, including at that very venue on uh, New Year's Day, uh, where he hit the game winner from three. So, uh, Demar has told us that he has worked on his uh, three-point shot uh, over the summer. I think that's something you're going to see him try to incorporate as his game ages. Um, I thought he shot it at a decent clip last year, obviously, albeit on on low volume. Um, And Zach clearly is a a better three-point shooter. I just think you would have seen more options rather than you know what what the play call was although demar demar also said i mean he he was planning to try to get downhill and get to the line which he obviously does so well but didn't see the opening so he he settled for the three and and the shot at the win does what are what are the two or three most salient conclusions i know it's early but what either surprised you or confirmed what you thought in in the two games you saw the bulls play real basketball yeah, so I, I would even maybe quickly go through, go with four. Uh, the bench is going to be really good all season. I've been uh, 
I've been championing the the Dragic Drummond signings from the jump. I think the fan base, you know, I, I shouldn't paint with a broad brush, but a certain segment of the fan base that I see on Twitter or email or what have you was kind of underwhelmed by those signings. They're both extremely uh, professional veterans that are, you know, can start for you if you need to, can provide toughness. I think they're going to be a con as long as they're healthy. I think they're going to be constants all season. That would be one. Iodasumu's um, just complete solidness and maturity for a second-year player and his floor command through two games well, and through the preseason would be two. Um, Vucevic's commitment to not just taking threes and the, ball, and the Bulls' commitment, I should say, to getting Vucevic moving around, uh, paint touches, getting the line, getting the ball down a little more has been a, a, a huge positive from my perspective. And then we'll end on a downer because it's Saturday suckage. Um, <laughs> Patrick Williams, your table is not ready. Your plane is boarding. Actually, Patrick yeah. Williams, your plane is boarding. What, what is, what, so what's going on? I, I would, where, where is he? Where, where, where does he find the, the aggressiveness that's needed. Apparently that's the key to opening up all manner of his game. And he seems to be lost the key sitting on the key. Doesn't want to find the key. I, I don't know. What's the, what, what do you, what can you conclude about this so far? I personally will, I, I'm almost just get, uh, counting down the days till Billy goes back to that preseason experiment when, and puts him with the second unit and starts Javante Green. Because at the time, I was obviously surprised by that development, but then it started to make a lot of sense to me because when you play Patrick Williams alongside high-usage players like DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, um, it almost plays into his worst qualities, which is to be deferential by nature. You put him in that second unit, he takes on – a different mindset. You've seen it in flashes, but let's say he stays with the starters, Steve. I mean, what you need to do is what the Bulls coaching staff has been harping on uh, with him ad nauseum. Cause I always say like, if the coaches are telling us something, you know, they've told the player that like 50,000 uh-huh. times more than what they're telling us. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So, so what, what Billy always tells us is like, you can, you can be aggressive and you can impact the game without getting shots. You can, cut hard you can set a hard screen you can run a hard lane hard in transition you can uh attack a closeout and then kick the ball so that there are ways to be aggressive that are that don't involve scoring or field goal attempts and that's if he stays with the starters that's what he's got to get to on a, on a much more consistent level well i understand i appreciate the differential the 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 uh, his appreciation for I guess a pecking order or a food chain. I understand all that. And he hasn't found a way to fit in. So it, it is as connect the dots. If he doesn't do well, if he's in, I don't want to say he's in awe of the, the better players, the established players, then put him with other players that he won't be asking for their autographs kind of thing. And that makes perfect sense to have him on the bench and find, come off with that group and find some, some confidence and does it give them would it give them you you wrote about earlier the 10-man rotation so that DeRozan doesn't have to you know you don't have to have one of the stars playing there which would play to Patrick Williams like you said one of his worst traits as far as what the coaches want would that give them a 10-man rotation is that the way this has to play out 
Yeah, I mean, the, the reason they've been a nine the first two games is, is Zach's absence. So, yeah, with Zach back tonight, um, you're going to probably see Billy go 10 deep. Uh, we don't know if, you know, where who will be the starting four and, and who will be coming off the bench. But if I get to the United Center tonight and see that Devontae is in the starting lineup and Patrick's coming off the bench, am I going to be surprised? Absolutely not. I don't know if Billy goes to that move this early, but I, I certainly, if this, if, if the way Patrick played in the first two games continues, I'm not going to be surprised at it by all. But like I said, I thought it actually worked pretty well in the preseason. And after my initial surprise, I was like, Oh yeah, I can see why Billy's trying this. And it, it seemed to be working. So, um, you know, the other thing is just, he didn't grab a defensive rebound last night and, and, in 25 what 26 minutes and look i i shouldn't bury the guy too hard on that because i haven't gone back and reviewed the tape maybe he's boxing out every time perfectly and the ball's just not coming to him um but i don't know man you think like one might accidentally come to him or something so there's just there's just just ways he's gotta he's gotta impact the game you know so um we'll see if we'll see what he's got tonight my guest is casey johnson of nbc sports chicago we're talking about the Bulls here on The Score. They will open their home season tonight. You'll hear it on The Score, special pregame show. Dan Bernstein sharing a big roundtable at 4 o'clock. Casey, if, if I, I saw what happened in the East, I saw what the Bulls did and didn't do and the way the front office made its decisions, once again drafting somebody, using a first-round pick on someone who can't shoot. So they're going about it in a different way. And I had them as, at best, a play-in team. I didn't see them, given the injuries, the absence of Lonzo Ball, and it was only going to get worse, and what he meant to their defense and two-way play. Same with Caruso. So when you talk about you won't be surprised about a change at, at forward, and can, can Billy do it this quick, my question would be, can he wait if the East is as competitive as I and a lot of people think it will be if every game matters to a any kind of playoff spot, even a play-in spot. Do you think he has the ability to wait to try to bring Patrick Williams along? <clears throat> or does everything matter? Is it too much now? He can't wait. No, I see your overall point. And, and look, you know, you got a team tonight, although they're, they're without one of their best players, Darius Garland, who's, you know, kind of one of the, the darlings of the, uh, improved East on paper because of the Donovan Mitchell acquisition and, and the and the and the youthful stars in, in uh, Mobley and, and Jared Allen. Um, so I, I get that. I don't know. I, I I just think maybe the coaching staff is seeing some positives in Patrick that we're not seeing. And um, you know, I don't think that Patrick Williams is the reason why they lost the game last night. I mean, I'm just focusing on him because he's such a important storyline to the season in, in year three and you know, obviously eligible for a contract extension off his rookie deal next summer. You got to know what that guy is moving into next summer. So, um, you know, just his usage and, and his performance is going to be an, uh, a go-to storyline on the beat all, all season. So, but to be clear, I'm not saying Patrick's why they lost the game last night. I mean, they, they were, you know, I thought they actually played pretty well overall, quite frankly. I mean, people think, oh, Washington, they're not that good. Well, you know, to your point, the East, they're, they're really no – you know, rollover games in these, particularly on the road. So, um, you know, they've got a professional score in Bradley Beal, and um, they've got some nice depth um, coming off the bench. So, you know, that that to me was not a bad loss. And, and you're in that game after being down 17. You come back and you got a chance to 
tie a winner at the end. So I, I, I actually thought there was probably more positives and negatives coming out of last night, even though they lost that game. I got it. All the years you've covered the Bulls and all that you've seen, and it would have to start with Jordan, but seeing, <clears throat> seeing guys like DeRozan and Beal play essentially a game of horse down the stretch, do you, do you like that? Do you get a kick out of that? Are you just on edge? What do you make of it when you see when those guys are just, okay, watch this. Okay, try this. I think that's great. I just love the, the poise, and I love the, the confidence. I love seeing that kind of stuff down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would probably center it more on DeRozan just because, you know, I've, been, I've had the privilege now of watching him for a full season and, and you know, uh, starting the second season. And uh, I, I can just say that, um, you know, the, the, ability, the, the ability for him to play the game at his pace, get to his spots, I even tweeted last night, Steve, when he came in uh, just under seven minutes to go for his last rotational turn. He was at 20 points, and I tweeted, what's he going to end up with? Well, guess what he ended up with? 32 <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and almost 35 in the game winner. I mean, it's, just, it's just it's remarkable how consistent he is in clutch time within the context of the game. It's not like he's out there just gunning. I mean, he also had six assists last night. He had nine assists in the opener. He reads the game. He's such an efficient scorer. He gets to the line. So you knew he was going to be in that mix down the stretch, and, and that's what you appreciate. Um, you know, Beal obviously is a professional scorer as well. Um, you know, strong connections to Billy Donovan from way back when in the college game. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was a cool game. But uh, DeRozan is just he's – been, he's been such a marvel to watch on a nightly basis because of – his composure, his calm, his confidence, and just his consistency. Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago, is my guest here on The Score, talking Bulls basketball. They will play on this very radio station later on this evening. Pre-game starts at 4 o'clock. So Kobe White, that's I, I don't know what you can depend on. Maybe you can tell me. Do you have any ideas? But last night was a really good night for what Kobe White can contribute, what he can give the team. I think, and I know that there's always reason for hope when I see this kid make some shots and, and, and make the bench the way you were describing, make the bench a, a, a threat. But what do you know? What do you think? What are, what are your fears? Well, I, I've, been, I've been very impressed with Kobe through the first two games because, you know, beyond the double-digit scoring that he's produced in both games off the bench, what I've noticed is a guy whose uh, decision-making, his ball handling, uh, his uh, defensive commitment. And, you know, one thing that I, I think always gets overlooked with Kobe White, he's a very, very responsible rebounder for a guard. He's very good at boxing out. He's a good rebounder for a position. He's got nice positional size. He's stronger than people realize. I, I think he's played a very solid game the first two games. I don't have his shooting stats in front of me. He's missed a couple open looks at – he probably would like to have back, particularly in that opener. Um, but, you know, double-digit points, both games off the bench. Um, and look, man, this is a guy that, you know, still views himself as a starter in this league. So for him to accept that role and, and have that role kind of moved around throughout his t- tenure here and still produce and still uh, have the commitment to try to, you know, master his role, I think I think he deserves a lot of credit personally. So, um, it's early, but uh, through two games, I, I think 
I mean, I would say Kobe has probably played better than Alex Caruso through two games. I mean, everyone kind of just looks at Alex because of his defensive ability and his, his, um, his, you know, just complete hustle and, and leadership. And I'm not, you know, burying Alex, but I, I, if you ask me to say, who do you think played better the first game? I would say Kobe over Alex. Well, he shot better. Alex is, not, yeah. Alex is not. Yeah. Alex is not. I mean, Caruso's just not shot. So before I let you go, with Zach Levine coming back, what what can what can you expect in terms of minutes or effect on a game? What do you think? Yeah, I'm laughing because uh, get ready for bad radio. I have no idea because this is a guy. Who told me on, <laughs> well, this is the guy who looked me in the eye on Friday and told me he felt great and healthy and never had to think about the knee anymore. And then you know, three days later, he's being held out of the season opener. So I, you know, obviously, given what has happened, they're going to probably be conservative with him. Now, Billy did say that he's not going to be on a minutes limit per se, but you know, you're not going to see him in the 36 to 40 minute range. I, I, I would assume it'd be high 20s to low 30s. Um, but, you know, he didn't look good in the preseason. I didn't chalk that up to much because he didn't play much five on five over the summer. Um, he was very rusty. Uh, obviously, supreme scoring and athletic ability. You'd like to see flashes of that. Um, but uh, I think most of all, you're just looking for him to get through the game held back and, and encouraged by, you know, his first game out because this is a – this, this took a turn that all of us around the beat were not expecting. I mean, all we heard throughout training camp and preseason was healthy, feeling good, just got to work the rust off, and then it took a took a detour that, that none of us were expecting. Narrator, and he missed the first two games. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so it's the your weekly Zach Levine game. Here we go. Casey, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Always good talking to you, Steve. Take care, you man. You too. Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago, talking both. They will play the Cavs, open their home season. Zach Levine is back. We'll see what part of Zach Levine is back. And our pregame coverage starts at 4 o'clock. Dan Bernstein will go down to the to chair, what essentially is a roundtable with Bulls voices, and we'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, there's voting is open. 670 The Score Twitter site. Go to the, go to the 670 The Score, and you can vote. If you're a Sox fan, your Saturday Suckage NLCS question, which sucks more? Sox missing out on Harper. Sox missing out on Manny. Sox signing Yonder Alonzo. If you're a Cubs fan, which is where we started this, NLCS question, which sucks more? Schwarber hitting home runs? Darvish looking like an ace? Don't care. We'll talk about whether the Cubs have another Schwarber in the city. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. Navigating the law can be tough, but we're tougher. Let us handle the fight. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law. He's got a cool nickname. We'll see if he's got a major league bat. We'll talk Cubs next after this. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. It's what someone in my position wants. You know, that um, you want the autonomy to make what you feel are the right decisions, the best decisions. I mean, we work so hard to, to research and think about how players fit. And, you know, when we have a, a moment um, that we feel like this is this is the right fit at the right time, um, we're going to present a lot of documentation about why we think that's the case. Uh, we don't we, we don't work in, in we don't um, do many things off the cuff. You know, we're going to be well researched and we are going to, you know, think heavily about about anything that we're going to do, especially given the size of the transactions I think you're alluding to. But I know that if I present Tom with uh, a plan uh, to do something like that, um, I know I have his support. Yeah, I guess the next time the Cubs will convene, it will be in Arizona. I did stand on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. I have pictures and a T-shirt to prove it. Stood next to Jackson Brown. I stood next to Glenn Fry. So that was Jed Hoyer talking about Uncle Tom's going to raise his allowance and give him the money to spend on free agents. And the Cubs should get back to being a big market team like the Cubs should be. So my next guest covers the Cubs and we'll see where that money might go. And as Megan Montemuro of the Tribune joins me on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. I will ask her the question we're asking Cub fans as relates to the NLCS at 670 the score on our Twitter's Twitter feed. Which sucks more, Megan, while you're watching the NLCS as a Cub fan, 
Schwarber hitting home runs, Darvish looking like an ace, or don't care? Uh, I think if you're a Cubs fan, probably Schwarber hitting home runs. You know, they non-tendered him, at least with Darvish. You know, they got value back, you know, when they traded him to San Diego. But I think if you're watching what Schwarber has done, especially for a team where, you know, Hoyer said at the end of the season that they need more power in the lineup, you know, if I'm if I'm a Cubs fan, I think that one stings a little bit more um, given that they just essentially let him walk. <laughs> Yeah, I when he's hitting the, the they they call him the Schwarberian in Philadelphia, and the Schwarbombs are quite. He's having quite a quite a postseason there. So, if they need more power, the one thing that Cub fans know about, they know last week Bruce Levine of the Score reported that the Cubs would have an interest in Jose Abreu once the Sox cut him loose, which doesn't sound like a move for the future. It sounds like a move for right now. And yet the future may or may not involve Mash Mervis, the minor leaguer Matt Mervis, who strikes some as the next Schwarber, and some scouting reports would have him the next Dan Vogelbach. What do you know in covering this team? What do you know about a dynamic that might or might not include Jose Abreu and or Mash Mervis? Well, you know, I think definitely, you know, Matt Mervis is going to get an opportunity in spring training to show what he can do. You know, he's not on the 40-man roster. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where his performance has to force them, you know, to put him on the team. And so that's always, you know, a challenge if you're a minor leaguer coming up is, you know, you have to prove you're worth that roster spot. Um, but, you know, as a left-handed hitter, you know, there there is some susceptibility there to left-handed pitching. So, you know, when you look at first base, there's there's really no one locked into that spot, obviously, going into the offseason. You look at the DH position, again, you know, Fran Mill Reyes filled that hole, um, you know, once they acquired him. But, you know, they could non-tender him if they don't want to, uh, you know, pay him a few million dollars. So that opens up another option there where you can mix and match with what you want to do at first base and DH. So, I mean, I don't think, you know, pairing a guy like Jose Abreu or, or somebody of that, that mold with a Matt Mervis is the worst approach to take because, you know, I think you can do a tandem parallel thing where you're investing long-term in the roster, potentially at some other positions in free agency, but then also looking for shorter deals for something that, you know, Jose Abreu would likely uh, command. So I think there's a way to address that without, um, you know, sacrificing all your resources or, you know, length of year for deals. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they, how they attack first base and, you know, some other key positions on that roster. Megan Montemurro covers the Cubs for the Tribune is my guest. We're talking Cubs here on the score. We are the school home of the Cubs. Ron Coomer was on the station earlier. He was on inside the clubhouse earlier. And he thought, he said he sounded like if he had, X number of free agent dollars, the place he would start is starting pitching because he thought it sounded weird coming from a hitter. Megan, I'm giving you all that money. Tom Ricketts came down and said, Megan, spend this money. Where are you going to start spending your money? On who and where? How are you going to go about it, Megan Montemurro? I mean, I think 1A and 1B is top of the rotation, starter, and then getting one of those top free agent shortstops because it addressed both both of them address short-term, long-term needs. I think when you look at the rotation and the starting pitching depth that the organization has built over the last year plus, I mean, it's definitely in a 
much healthier position than it was two years ago. But I think it's still missing that top arm that, you know, you could pair with a Marcus Throwman who looked great from about, you know, late June on after, you know, he came back from COVID and then some, some arm uh, shoulder soreness. Um, so I think, you know, the playoffs are a perfect example of, you know, when you have two top starting pitchers, I mean, that can really change the dynamic if you get into the postseason. So top of the rotation starter, 1A, and then 1B, I mean, you, I, I think when you look at what this team lacks beyond, you know, offensively, I mean, they need more star power on this roster. And, you know, Jed was asked about that in his season any presser about, you know, getting more star talent on this team and he talked about you know the time needing to be right and all that but I'm of the belief that you can't even though you have an idea of when some guys might become free agents down the road like if there is an opportunity and you have the financial resources to add a star player at a position that you need help at I mean I I think it's obvious that you, you need to try and get one of those top guys. Do we have – I've seen no indication that David Ross would would know how to manage in a pennant race, in a division race, would know how to manage when there's pressure in August and September. 39-31 doesn't mean much to me when you quit this – you know, you quit on this season two years ago. Are you aware – I mean, what could you share with the audience about what gives you any confidence that David Ross could manage when it matters? Well, I do think there is something to keeping a clubhouse together and playing hard when there is nothing to play for. And I know that's different than what the postseason brings, where, you know, every moment there's tension and, you know, you can win or lose a game on a, on a, a single pitch. But I do think that you need to have those qualities in some fashion. And, and for him right now, they're manifesting in keeping a clubhouse together and working hard. I mean, there were quite a few guys that have played on a variety of teams have played in in the postseason. You know, Drew Smiley comes to mind who talked about how great the clubhouse environment is there and how, you know, it was better than some even postseason teams he's been on. So I think that there is an important element to that. And then beyond that, I think we've seen some glimpses how during the regular season, you know, he manages the pitching staff, you know, when he's willing to let a guy, start an inning and go, you know, batter to batter and, and give them some trust. And when he's learned, you know, to let someone like Stroman, you know, go a little bit deeper when he's been rolling. Um, but, you know, I do think there, there are some unknowns just because as you said, you know, until he's in that seat, you know, where every decision, you know, makes a difference. You know, I don't know a hundred percent that anybody really knows, how David Ross will handle that. And I think a part of that too is, you know, how he will handle further scrutiny from media and fans, you know, when he's getting questioned about decisions after games, because, you know, largely for the last, for his tenure outside of his first season, you know, his decisions in game largely have not mattered in the context of the entire season. So that's something I'm interested in seeing how, you know, he handles further scrutiny and, and, how he reacts and internalizes that. So give, put a face on the first, the star power you talked about. Who is that? Who's that first signing? Who do the Cubs sign first? Who's that star that comes here and declares everything to be wonderful? Who is it? What? Yeah, and that's the tricky part because, you know, I, I think back to, you know, I, when I was in Philly covering them, when, 
the Machado Harper offseason was going down and, you know, it was kind of a waiting game to see which guy would sign first, who was waiting for the other to sign before they signed. And I think you might see some of the same stuff when you have such a loaded shortstop class. I don't necessarily know which is the first domino to fall in terms of, okay, once this guy signs, the, the, the other guy or two, you know, will be ready to sign somewhere. But I do think, you know, you have to have a game plan and you have to certainly have an idea of, where to pivot if something like that doesn't go your way. But I do think, you know, I don't know if it's a, you know, Trey Turner that once he signs, you know, maybe that maybe, you know, the other shortstops will feel ready to sign somewhere. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure yet, which is the guy that's kind of going to be the first one, but I think that is really going to be an interesting dynamic of how this offseason plays out for the Cubs, because if they're looking to go after one of those guys, you know, can they pivot to other options if if this goes up to, you know, spring training? Um, so I think that's a, a real question they will have to weigh of how long do we wait guys out if they're weighing all their options. Bring money. That's all I got to say. Megan, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Megan Montemuro of the Chicago Tribune talking Cubs. They Look, they have to make the playoffs. They have to spend money. They have to get stars. Act like a big market team. That's the way you go about it. And and whatever you think of the the markets of, you know, Philly's a big market, New York's a big market, whatever you think of Houston and and, and San Diego. San Diego went and they they hey White Sox, they took your guy. They took Manny Machado. They got everybody's guy. And Bryce Harper, he went to he went to Philly. And you know, there's just look, that's guys who the, the saying, ball go far, team go far, playoffs, team that out homers the other one, they're going to win. And look, Philly plays defense as bad as the White Sox. Philly hits home runs. And Juan Zagura, Gene Zagura, oh, my God. What a thing that is. First guy to have an error, an RBI, and get picked off in a major league postseason inning, in one inning. And last night, he just, you saw all the body language, all the excitement, and he said he just exploded with it, and he said it was, he likened himself to Goku, Sean Sears. Do you know who this Goku is? Yeah, Goku, it's a, it's a, it's a Dragon Ball Z anime. Have you ever heard of it? Do you, do you watch any anime, yes. Steve? <laughs> I, I'm not much of an anime kind of guy, but I, I've heard of Dragon Ball. So he's he's the main he's character just, in that, yeah, Goku. Okay, so Goku. So there you go. You got a Goku drop on on Saturday suckage, and that's who Gene Segura is. Okay, all right. Uh, <clears throat> we're gonna spin the wheel of Ditka one more time, another time, and go, Sean. The White Sox or the Cubs? What no, the please. What, or no. the Blackhawks? No, please. Let's not. Let's not. The Bears are the team in this town, and the and the fans love the Bears. And when they see the but team what, not performing, but, but where does it say Bears fans must be jerks? Where's that written? Jerkos. They're not being jerks. What they're being, they they're they being just jerks. Want, that's what makes the game. You can discuss the game during the week. They're being they go jerks. Back and, why? Because they disagree with. Because every time you say you say how's Marcus Paul playing, they say terrible. How's Richard? One Pitt guy playing? terrible. It. Don't. How's this guy playing terrible? How's Trey Armstrong terrible? How's no, Jim Harbaugh terrible? There's nothing wrong with fans 
actually being aggravated if a team like like you played against New York. You and you're, you're exactly right. And there's nothing the matter with me being aggravated right. either. That's part of life, and I am aggravated. What does it say? Bear fans must be jerks, jerkos. Alrighty then. Coach turned 83 this week, and we're playing the wheel of Ditka. Just never know what'll come up. Take a break. When we come back. We will come back with. <clears throat> A stat about Justin Fields that was quite enlightening, I didn't know. But those of you who are fans of this show, you would also become fans of Jay Kuda, and you knew him from terrific work on the White Sox. Guess what? He's been doing some Bears work, and he has some enlightening numbers. Jay Hilgenberg enlightened us about what he would do on that offense, and Jay Kuda is going to enlighten us about what the Bears should do with, with Justin Fields. They play the Patriots on Monday. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. The challenge that they give you is that for two parts, they get really specific with like, you know, putting the people in the game that they feel do the task the best too. So, you know, in the run game, you're going to get certain type of guys on the field, you know, run downs. And if there's an obvious passing down, you're getting certain guys in the field. So you're getting their better personnel. And then the challenge with all the stuff as you prepare for the week, the challenge is, okay, if you're in 21 personnel and you have a play called and there's three different types of personnel that you anticipate, that's more work for you during the week as far as getting the guys prepared for it. So that part of the challenge is something that a lot of these teams that have, have presented for us. It's Luke Getze. Luke Getze, the Bears offensive coordinator, going up against Bill Belichick in Foxborough Monday night. Rookie and second-year quarterbacks are 3-42 and 42 in Foxborough against the Patriots since 2003. Hoo boy. Luke Getze has gotten some criticism for what he's doing with Justin Fields. Justin Fields has gotten criticism. The Bears organization has gotten criticism, not giving him enough. I found this enlightening. Maybe you will, too. Jay Kuda, who does terrific Terrific work, and he did it on the White Sox, and I brought his stuff to the air regularly about the during baseball season. Well, lucky for us, he has he's looking at football. So what he compiled after the Bears' latest bit of suckage when they stunk at home against the awful, depraved Washington Commanders, Justin Fields under center versus shotgun snaps this season. So he has been in shotgun 146 times. He's been under center 48 times. His completion percentage under center is 60%. His completion percentage out of shotgun is 53%, 53.3. So sort of clarify there, he's under center a third. It, he's, a, he's in shotgun three times as many snaps as he is under center. And his completion percentage is worse. His yards per attempt, some places use that as a valued barometer of an offense's ability to make something happen. Under center, Justin Fields' yards per attempt, he's averaging 11.3. Shotgun, 6.5. That would be damn close to 50% worse. Now, here's the weird part. Under center, he's thrown two TD passes under at a shotgun, two TD passes. 
He's thrown five interceptions while taking snaps under center. And yet this, I don't understand. His quarterback rating is 125.9 under center compared to 57.9 at a shotgun. And he's been sacked 18 times at a shotgun, five times under center. So it seemed that you're not using this quarterback in the right formations the right way. And when you can run, Jay Hilgenberg brought it up. Those, those are numbers provided by Jay Kuda, which are terrific. Gives you a snapshot of what the Bears are doing right, wrong, what Justin Fields. If we're trying to spend the season evaluating Justin Fields and find out what he likes because that's what he'll run best, I don't know. Better completion percentage, better quarterback rating, under center, you might want to do that more. Shotgun, ugly, awful, don't, stop, make it go away. Mommy, make it stop. Jay Hilgenberg, the center for the 1985 Bears, the, the team that led the league in time of possession for five straight years. And he's part of the WBBM 780 AM broadcast crew with pregame, postgame, halftime with Ron Gleason and Jim Schwantz. He was on earlier, and he said the most fun, the best part of being an offensive lineman was blocking for play action. It means you run the ball well. It means you can block like you're running, but you're really passing, and you have a chance for a massive play downfield. The Bears run the ball well. They have on average. It's been the best thing this offense does. And you got a quarterback who could benefit by it. Even if he doesn't know how to throw a receiver open in the NFL, even if he doesn't know what a receiver looks like, an open receiver looks like in the NFL, give him a better chance with play action. Your offensive line loves it more. Your quarterback loves it, loves, apparently the, the stats say he wants to be under center. The offensive coordinator says no. Just thought I, that was, that's with, when you're going into Foxborough where young quarterbacks don't win. And again, I'll get back to it. It's on the Manning cast as well as ESPN. And this means twice as much national embarrassment. It's just got to stop. But Justin Fields under center, maybe we'll see more of that. It was my understanding that there would be no math. Yeah, I know. I hate it too. But Jay Cooney does the math for us, and that's what's really impressive. That's what we love about him. Well, those are, that is a cool stat, though, uh, Rosie, just because like, Fields pretty much only operated out of shotgun while he was at Ohio State. So it's, it's not surprising that he's struggling there, but it's a concern when it's like you run a pro-style offense and your quarterback doesn't seem to be good at it. <laughs> what, he, you're, what he looked like, what he looked, what, he, what the looks he got, and what he looked like out of the shotgun was Ohio State, where you're playing cupcake a is a lot different than in the NFL. Yeah, easy to throw six touchdowns against Akron, huh? So, by the way, a texter said, I never thought, 630 texter, never thought I'd hear a DBZ reference on the score. So the DB I get is Dragon Ball. What does the Z stand for in DBZ? I couldn't figure that out. So there's there's like different versions of Dragon Ball. So Dragon Ball Z is like the most it's like the most recent iteration of it. It started originally as Dragon Ball, and then like it falls this main character Goku as a child, and then Dragon Ball Z is him as a as an adult. So it's okay, just, same thing, same thing. All right, so Goku 
as I understand the history of the wiki, you can correct me, Sean Sears, because you are all anime. You're all Dragon Ball all the time. Unfortunately. So he's described as very timid, constantly crying for attention as an infant, but then programmed with intense hostility to carry out his mission. Does that sound like a fair description of your guy, Goku? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. He's got a, they, they've got these superpowers and called them Saiyan or whatnot, and he kind of finds these powers, and that's what gets him to be aggressive. So I guess Segura okay. felt like he was going Super Saiyan. Right, if Philly's Gene Segura felt that, then why can't somebody show this Goku thing to Patrick Williams of the Bulls? See, there's an idea. I bet He's you he ex- watches DBZ, too. I, it's a good thing I'm so smart because that would be the guy. We don't need you to watch NBA cuts and, and cut-ups of, of whatever. Watch Goku. See what happened. Goku was was this timid, a timid guy. And not that Patrick Williams is crying for attention. He just shrinks. As Casey Johnson said earlier when he was on the air and uh, early this hour, that he just he's deferential to all the stars, all the big players. But... They need him to be programmed with intense hostility to carry out his mission, the Bulls do. So they need to make, how do you make Patrick Williams a Goku? How do they do that? Sean, answer me. Sean, answer me. How do they know, do man. that? I, uh, I think you're, you're the, the, you're the at an- this point, right? You're the anime guy. Damn it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they're just going to have to show him some of uh, Goku's greatest hits and see if uh, Pat can maybe uh, take a little bit from that. Instead of trying to be more like DeMar DeRozan, he really needs to be more like Goku. Yes, that's it. That's it. Well, maybe some of the Bulls is listening. So Lance McCullers Jr. is going to start for the Astros in Game 4. You would have thought he would have started earlier. I thought he would have started earlier. Yeah, he had a heck of an NLDS. A.O. Excuse me, AL. Lance McCullers. Do you you know why he's not starting until game four for the cheating Astros? No, I have no idea why he's, he's, he's waited this long. I know they wanted to get Verlander in and whatnot. And was it Framber Valdez that pitched last in that game? It looked well, but McCullers looked really good though in that first series. Yeah. Well, he got hit with on the elbow with a spare champagne bottle. (laughs) During the celebration in, in beating Seattle. Oh, my God. So he had to get pushed back. He threw a bullpen recently and said everything's fine. But the idea that he got hit with a spare champagne bottle Jeez. during a celebration, and that's why Lance McCullers is going That's like in game four. It's like Kerry Wood falling in his hot tubs and Brano spraining his ankle over a gym bag. It's just like, what are you doing? So there are two famous baseball injuries that involve irons. I don't know if you know about this one, Brian Anderson of the, of the D backs diamondbacks, most notably he answered his hot iron. He held the iron up in a hotel room. He was trying to iron his white shirt. He's trying to watch, trying to watch Sunday night baseball. And he looks around the iron and he runs it right into his face. John Smoltz, who you hear on baseball broadcasts, he tried to iron a shirt while he was wearing it. Get no lie. Out of here. Yeah. What in the world. That's it. So and there you go. Lance McCullers has to wait till game four. He hurt his elbow 
celebrating a spare bottle of champagne. And you would think, all right, these guys before are the we go, hand-eye coordination, right? Being right they should be. Doesn't think, you know, they think. Before we go, Sean, as we spin the wheel of Ditka one more, we're going to spin the wheel of Ditka, and I'm going to rig the game because this is what helped put the score on the map. It helped create a legendary a legendary part of a segment on the score features one of my all-time favorite people in sports talk radio, Terry Boers. And this was part of our, our wheel of Ditka. We got to do this. We got to spin it and it's going to come up with something. Every scorehead knows. One of the things, Mike, that's been pointed out over the course of today and last night after the game is that you seem resigned to the fate after the game, that there wasn't much fire in you, and you sort of stood up before the media and said, well, you know, this is the way it is. We, uh, are you resigned to this fate? Is well, you're, you're the same guy that wrote about me when I did have the fire, that that was the wrong thing to do. So who are you crapping? Well, I'm just Don't asking. Don't no, 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 no. The Steelers have heard a lot about how bad they are, how average they are. I'm taking Pittsburgh. Look, they don't lose on Monday night, so... At home, especially. Who are you crapping? <laughs> Coach is from Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's, that's true. Using that on Monday Night Football. Coach, who are you crapping? Legendary segment. That was it. That had to play that. Coach turned 83 this week. So we had to get that in. Want to thank everybody who stopped by today. Jay Hilgenberg. Bears Legendary Center. Mark Brody was here. What Mark heard. Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago, talking Bulls. Megan Montemurro of the Tribune. And we have our web polls up. Go to our web polls and vote, vote, vote. White Sox fans, Saturday suckage. Does suck, suck more, suck more for missing out on Harper or missing out on Machado. Cup fans, same. NLCS. Cubs suck more for letting Schwarber go or dumping Darvish. I want to thank everyone who listened to Saturday suckage. Bulls basketball, 4 o'clock, pregame on the score. Chicago Sports Radio, 670. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.